0: You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 14th episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test match cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. Thank you all to all our listeners uh, for your continued support. Uh, do keep listening to our support, um, spread the word about our podcast, and please do not forget to sub- subscribe to our podcast from whichever platform uh, you're listening to us on, uh, be it uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or anything like that. Um, How can you find us? Just look for Armchair Cricket Podcast on any of these platforms and you should be able to find us there with uh, quite ease. Um, Do uh, remember to leave us a rating, preferably a five star rating on uh, all these platforms and also share your feedback uh, in the comments section. We also periodically post quizzes and trivia questions on our Twitter handle, which is at armchaircrickpod and on our Facebook page, Um, the links you can find below in the description. Uh, Do uh, try to, you know, chip in with your thoughts, leave your answers there, uh, and uh, we can uh, have a conversation going there. Um, There will be some interesting questions, uh, so do keep an eye out. Um, You can reach out to us uh, for suggestions, feedback, um, also on our email. Our email address is armchair.cricket at gmail.com. So, uh, well, we're also on Twitter, like I said, and you can join us there for a banter. uh, Normally when um, a match is ongoing, uh, you know, in World Cricket. So you can join us there for a banter. Um, So that's about it. Um, Let's get started with uh, today's episode. I have my co-host, Ajit. Um, Welcome, Ajit. How are you doing?
1: Hello, Giri.
0: I'm doing good. How are you doing? Well, a lot of things to, uh, you know, cover. A lot of cricket being played in the past week as well as a lot of work. It's been a busy few days, to be honest. So, I can't wait to get started on our episode.
1: Well, are you feeling uh, better now? I remember, you know, with the weather turning a bit, I
0: think you were feeling the effects of the weather. Yeah, I was a bit under the weather. Yeah, you know how it is over here. Quite windy because we're closer to the coast, right? So... Of and it's also change change in season, so we're you know changing season from winter to uh, spring. It's always a bit harsh over here in our part of the world. So, of course, hopefully it's uh, in the past now. Let's see. Let's hope well, some good weather for some good indeed. weather. Yeah, and of course, with spring comes cricketing
1: season, right? At least on this Absolutely. continent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, some uh, nice things to look forward to for the two of us. Um, okay, so before we go into the cricketing events of the week. Shall we look at the trivia question from last week? So the the trivia question from last week was, uh, which was the first ever first-class match in India? Or which match was awarded the first-class status for the first time in India? So we don't have uh, any successful uh, answers from our listeners. But I understand that this was a bit of a tough question. So the answer to this question is that uh, the presidency match, as it was called, that was played between the um, Bombay Gymkhana and the Zoroastrian Cricket Club, which started on 26th August 1892, is considered as the first 1st class match in India, right? So basically, all the matches that, that was played, the presidency matches that was played from 1892-93 onwards were given first class status. So this is a very interesting point because I would like to shed a little bit of light on the quadrangular tournament. You know, it was called the Bombay Quadrangular And thereby just look at the initial first-class scene, cricket scene in India. Mm -hmm. So, um, basically, initially it started out as a match between two teams. That is the Zoroastrian Cricket Club, uh, the Parsis that played in Zoroastrian Cricket Club, and the Europeans who played in the Bombay Gymkhana. So, the first such match was played in 1877. So, this is uh, coincidentally also the same year when the first test match was played between you know england and australia so it's just a instant interesting coincidence and uh, these matches uh, were always played the presidency match was always played between these two teams right and then this tournament evolved into a triangular a quadrangular and then eventually a pentangular so if you were to just quickly take a look at the history of this tournament right from 1877 to 1891, this match was not having uh, was not having an official name. From 1892 onwards, this match was being called the Bombay Presidency or the Presidency match, right? So it was always two teams. Then from 1907 onwards, it became a triangular when the Hindus formed a team of their own. And they invited uh, initially the Zoroastrian cricket cup for a match, but then eventually the Bombay Gymkhana ended up playing the match in 1906, and therefore from 1907 onwards, the third team entered the fray, which was call, which was calling themselves the Hindus. It was mostly comprised of uh, the Hindu players. So what we see is there is a distinct uh, you know communal touch to the, each of these teams because the, the Bombay Gymkhana team was always represented by European uh, mm-hmm. players. So then the Parsi's played for the Zoroastrian cricket club. So, from 1907 onwards, there were three teams. It was called uh, the Bombay Triangular from that point on. Up until 1912, mm-hmm. when it became a quadrangular, because a team comprising of Muslims was formed and was invited to participate in this tournament. So, between the years 1912 to 1937, mm-hmm. this tournament was called the Bombay Quadrangular, where there were four teams. Right? There was the Bombay Khana the Parsis from Zoroastrian Club, Hindus and the Muslims. From 1937 onwards until the tournament was abolished in 1946, this uh, tournament was called the Bombay Pentangular because then another team called Others were uh, formed and invited. So the Others consisted of all uh, people of other religions, uh, be they Buddhists or Indian Christians or Jews, anybody else who wanted to represent, you know, Uh, themselves in a cricket game, they were forming a team called Others. So if you were to just quickly go back, so the first match was played in 1877 and then this was basically based on an invite uh, from the Parsis of the Zoroastrian Cricket Club to the European members of the Bombay Gymkhana. And they initially played it as a friendly, it was only a two-day match, and it was a very good uh, match because it was played in good spirit. And also the Parsis sort of surprised how well they played uh, their cricket and The Bombay Gymkhana had considered a, you know, first innings lead, but then the match was drawn eventually. So then it became a very big deal that whoever would win win this tournament would be called, let's say, the champions of cricket in that region. And eventually all of India, because there was no other tournament as such. So uh, this, this game that was an annual game was very you know very popular and was very prestigious. So by the time the Hindus joined the fray in 1906, um, the Hindus had a couple of players who were uh, from the lower castes, so to say. And some of these players, somebody called uh, Balu Palwankar and Vital Palwankar, these two players were, um, you know, uh, one of the first representatives, so to say, from a lower caste, uh, you know, society in India. And so they even say, this uh, bowler, Balu Palwankar, who was a spinner, was probably the first great spinner ever, right? And the other thing, he might have been, you know, in the film Lagan, there was a spinner, if you remember. So he might have been an inspiration for that role in the movie. And Kachra, so on and so on. Right? Exactly, Kachra, exactly. I think that was the name of the guy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, therefore, there is quite a lot of, you know, history associated with this tournament because this formed the basis of first-class cricket in India, this tournament. Because once this tournament began, this tournament also sort of encouraged other parts of India to begin their own quadrangulars and triangulars. For example, there was a triangular in Lahore. There are quadrangulars held in Nagpur, in Karachi, different parts of India. And they sort of began involving players from their region. right? And eventually, mm-hmm. the Ranji Trophy, which had started in 1936, succeeded this as the premier first-class trophy in India. And then in Pakistan, the Quaid-e-Azam Trophy was started over. And more importantly... There are also occasional political shifts to this tournament. So I would like to wrap up this section by completing this point. Because in 1921, when Prince Albert had visited India and came to Mumbai, there were riots in Mumbai, Uh, you know, when people were demanding uh, their uh, right for self-rule. But when the match was scheduled to be played, the riots died down and the crowds came to watch the match, right? And in fact, they cheered uh, Prince Albert. The crowd that was present in the ground cheered Prince Albert. And he witnessed the Europeans of the Bombay Gymkhana lose, they say, right? Also, when in 1930, the Salt uh, Satyagraha March that was organized by Gandhi reached its height. Uh, This tournament was suspended for four years between 1930 and 1934. And Gandhi was not a big fan of the tournament, they say, because he um, basically felt that this was a way in which the European masters sort of uh, subjugated the local crowds and made sure the tensions of the local crowd was sort of centered around communal basis and made sure that they were sort of more focused on each other rather than getting united and throwing out the obses- mm-hmm. oppressors, so to say. Mm-hmm. So he sort of more than once made an appeal that this tournament should not be played on a you know communal line, but should be played as a mixed or a regional thing. But uh, some of the crowds always wanted the teams to remain in their you know original forms uh, based on the religion and so on, so there are quite a lot of shades of you know different shades of politics and other things coming in. So this was just a quick roundup of this great tournament called the Bombay Quadrangler more popularly, and this is when one of the first first-class matches in the Indian subcontinent was also played. All right
0: then.
2: Yeah,
0: that's quite now. a history, Ajit. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. All right.
1: Now before uh, you know, uh, before we look at the lot of one-day and short format cricket that's been happening. Mm -hmm. Shall we first look at the only test match that has happened, right? It was between Bangladesh and New Zealand. So this was the second uh, test of the Bangladesh Tour of New Zealand, played in Wellington. It was Mm -hmm. played between the 8th and 12th. So even though this was a five-day match, we know that the first two days of the match got drained out, right? So the match started on the third morning. And uh, batting first, Bangladesh were uh, rolled out for 211. With, uh, you know, Wagner taking four wickets and Bolt complementing him well with three wickets. Uh, there were no major contributions except Tamim Iqbal who made a fighting 74 in the Bangladeshi first innings. Uh, New Zealand started batting and they finished the first day at 38 for two. But then uh, the next day, that is the fourth day, they were able to really make a barnstorming innings. They were able to score 432 runs. Uh, for six wickets, and they declared, and they were scoring at more than five an hour. So they were mainly helped by Ken Williamson, who made a cautious 74, but uh, Ross Taylor, who made a 200 of just 212 balls, right? And then uh, Henry Nichols, who was also able to play a very fast innings, uh, getting 107 out of just 129 balls. So these were the players that contributed majorly for New Zealand. And then uh, Bangladesh were asked to bat again, and Bangladesh finished day four on 38-for-2, coincidentally the same score that New Zealand were on the previous day. But then they were not able to make much of a uh, challenge because New Zealand led comfortably by 221 runs when they had declared. But uh, Bangladesh were bowled out for 209 and lost the match by an innings and 12 runs. So Mahmoud top scored uh, with 67 and he was supported by Mohamed Mithun. But overall, it was a very disappointing performance by Bangladesh. What have you to say? Kirik?
0: Yeah, but Um, First things first, weather played a part here uh, in making this a lot more exciting uh, match than it would probably have been. Having said that, uh, full marks to New Zealand, you know, in trying to force a win out of this, you know, I think they they had only three days of cricket that were to be played, that was to be played on this uh, ground. Uh, And New Zealand managed to score 432 runs uh, for the loss of six wickets in under 85 overs. That's amazing, it's a run rate of five runs or even more than five runs an over. So that's uh, quite a rate to score runs at. Um, Mm -hmm. And the standout player for them, Ross Taylor, who also uh, surpassed uh, his mentor, Martin Kroos, run aggregate, if I'm not wrong. So I think it was a momentous occasion for him as well to overcome this or to surpass this record, like I said. uh um, giri might have been his list of hundreds
1: rather than aggregate
0: okay. yes yes oh okay good um so yeah so, so the very fact that they could score runs so quickly ensured that uh, they were able to force a result out of this game uh, and uh, i think bangladesh were up against it when they came out, came out to bat in the second innings um, they could force out a draw but i think um nobody stood out i think there were there were some starts also 50 from mahamudullah the captain but no one else stayed out there long enough to uh, make an impact um so new zealand need lead 2-0 right at the end of this match um, of course, one more test to play mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. well they wrap up the series as far as they are concerned they went to mm-hmm. nil
1: but yeah, one more test remains. Uh, what was a bit disappointing was that Bangladesh showed a lot of fight towards the back end of the first test match, right? If you remember, they scored more mm-hmm. than 400, mm-hmm. and Mahmudullah scored a very fighting hundred. If you remember, yes. so did Liton Das. Again, if you look at the second innings, right, the same two players seem to have made a, a little bit of a ladder. Sarkar, I'm sorry, it was Swami Sarkar. Mm-hmm. So again, in the second innings of Bangladesh innings, it was the same two players. In this case, it was Mohammad Mithun. Soma Sarkar made a 28, but nobody was willing to stay with Mahmudullah. So, again, um, Neil Wagner took a 5-4 in the last innings. And he was the one, along with, again, Trent Poult, who sort of made sure, uh, you know, uh, New Zealand won comfortably. His short polling was the real difference again. So, in both innings, it looks like. Uh, so, you know, Ross Taylor was, I uh, judge, the man of the match. It was a bit surprising. I, In my book, it was Neil Wagner who won the match. Even though Ross Taylor set up the, you know, the total very nicely, it was Wagner who sort of made the real impact. Because Mm -hmm. I was looking at some of these dismissals. A lot of them were Bangladeshi batsmen getting out, not knowing how to play the short ball. There were a couple of tailenders who were just worked out in a very brutal way, Tajul Islam and those people. But outside of that, you know, it was Wagner's proper mix of just short of good length and short balls
0: that really Mm -hmm.
1: bought all these wickets.
0: And and one more thing I want to mention here. Um, So this, because of the rain and also the conditions that Mm -hmm. usually, uh, you know, are prevalent in Wellington, It's a Mm -hmm. greenish pitch, right? So you can expect a lot of sea movement as well as some swing in the air because of overcast conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I managed to get a glimpse of Bangladesh uh, batting in the first innings, maybe I think in the second session Mm -hmm. um, on day three. Um, So this guy, Tamim Iqbal, looked very comfortable at the crease. So was uh, Mominul Haq, I think. Yeah, Mominul Haq, yeah, indeed. And these two guys were quite comfortable at the crease. Uh, They were able to thwart the threat of Trent Bolt as well as Tim Saudi and also a bit of swing from uh, Grant Home,
2: mm-hmm. And
0: Neil Wagner was brought in quite late. You know, if you look at the bowling bowling card, he was the fifth bowler. So they even bowled uh, Matt Henry and then Neil Wagner came out to bowl. And mm-hmm. you know what Neil Wagner does. He doesn't bowl, uh, uh, you know, swing uh, full length deliveries. He just bowls short. That's his uh, modus operandi. Mm-hmm. And um, the moment he, uh, <laughs> he came out to bowl, he started bowling those you know, short pitch deliveries. Uh, Bangladesh, like you said, they succumbed. Mm-hmm. There was a review that was overturned because him uh, okay. of the guard, arm guard or something, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Mominul Haq was dismissed the very next ball. And then I I went to bed because it was too late for me. Um, and one more point I want to mention about New Zealand's innings. Uh, New Zealand were down down eight, you know, for the loss of two wickets when uh, Ross Taylor came out to bat.
1: I see. So, I see.
0: So if you look at their score, and then uh, Kane Williamson and uh, Ross Taylor Mm -hmm. put on 172 runs for third wicket, for the third wicket. And when uh, Williamson got out, I think it was in the 40th over, the score was 180 runs. So they were Mm -hmm. scoring quite rapidly uh, by then already. And then, you know, Henry Nichols, uh, as well as Grandom some fireworks towards the end there, but. Mm-hmm. this was I think this was, it was one of um, I didn't watch this live it would have been nice because it was more like a one-day match I would say one-day innings from Ross Taylor of course so, yeah 212 balls for his 200 runs So well done to him and well done New Zealand for uh, taking an unassailable lead now in the series
1: exactly Yeah. as you correctly pointed out in the first innings they were 127 for 1 mm. right they were looking very comfortable from that score to sort of subside to 211 that's when you considered the initiative. Right? Yeah. And knowing yeah. that your bowling doesn't have that you know the experience or the wherewithal to hold New Zealand back in case they start charging you're in real trouble right there. Yeah. Yeah. So Mahmudullah had a very impactful innings in the second innings. Uh, so Sarkar made some runs Mohammad Nitun made some runs but these people sort of missed out. In the first innings, right? The mm-hmm. middle order, so to say. Mithun, yeah. yeah. Sarkar and Muhammadullah and Das to a large extent. Das yeah. made a 33, a fighting 33. But nobody seemed to support him. That's one point. The other thing, they seem to not have even a batting tail. It's like, if if they lose the sixth wicket, it looks like the match is over. In yeah. in, in both the innings, it happened. Because mm-hmm. I think Muhammadullah got out to a slightly irresponsible shot, if I may call that, in the first innings. And as a result of that, there was he knew there was not a lot left that was sort of a not a good stroke he did but outside of that what really surprised me was that nobody was willing to stay even spend 10 15 minutes at the crease trying to get five five runs eight runs add a bit more you know mm-hmm. this this sort of this let me see what can happen let me hang around was missing completely that was very strange to see right and that made a big difference because you're right that they were able to you know come back from 8 for 2 new zealand so credit must be given to them right they could have sort of also been all over for 200 or 220 trying to chase a big total right so in that case a lot of credit has to be given to these guys and i when i saw the highlights of the second fourth play, effectively the second day's play, uh, it was very obvious ibadah hussein and um, let's say abu jayad these people are all very costly i mean everybody went at a lot of runs but they had no clue about a restrictive line that you sort of leave in the length most of the lengths they chose to employ were. One day lens a little bit further up. In tests, you sort of hold the ball back. That was not there. That was not visible. You know, uh, between matches, I remember Courtney Walsh said in an interview that uh, the selectors have to be a bit more patient with the Bangladeshi pace, pacing, pace attack. You know, yeah. but this did not inspire any any confidence because their only spinner was not very effective. They, uh, you know, they swapped uh, Taijul Islam. They dropped uh, Mahdi Hassan because he was not very impressive in the first test. This guy was not very impressive either. He took a couple of wickets, Tajul Islam, but he was very costly. So, there was nobody holding up one end. It. it was like, yeah. as you say, one day. It was an entirely one-day enix. They that went on for 80 hours or so, right? I, 85
0: hours. Yeah, and uh, Mushta was back, but he only got a wicket for 74 runs in his 14 overs. So, he was also expensive. So, everyone went for runs and yeah, Mustafizur is a good limited overs bowler. You know? we know we know his skills with slower balls, cutters, and you know uh, those kinds of things. But exactly is he suited for Test match cricket? Maybe he needs to uh, you know mature a bit more. Um, yes. No. Well, he looked short of a gallop, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. He did not look hundred percent fit,
1: and that showed, right? Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, in the second innings, it sort of followed the same pattern. In the very first over, Tamim Iqbal was dismissed for a by a for a wonderful ball. So that ball, he kept moving the ball because it's a left-hander bowling to a left-hander. The ball kept leaving the left-hander. And uh, I think the very second ball, so the first ball he flicked very confidently. And the very second ball simply came in. So it just held its line and hit the leg stump. If you see, Tamim is completely caught off guard. So that was a classic piece of swing bowling by right, Bolt. And he knew sort of if you remove uh, Tamim Iqbal because he's already played a couple of very impactful innings this series, mm-hmm. he had sort of opened the door. Mominul Haq, I was counting on to do something special. He usually does it. But on these swimming, uh, swinging pitches, he's completely caught off guard. I think he was not prepared to um, counter this sort of swing. you know. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, and as a result, they have nothing to really work with. Anyway, so that basically means you know Wagner really deserves the kudos in my book, and of course him along with uh, Ross Taylor and uh, you know Henry Nichols, they did the work, they did the bulk of the work, and New Zealand comfortably won. They found a way somehow, in spite of just be- there being three days. I think they won with about half a session or three quarter of a session to easily win the match. So that was really well done to them, right? So well, if you look yeah. at the series, I really don't see Bangladesh having any sort of a. Uh, let's say uh, a chance to overturn a three-nil series victory for New Zealand. Do you, do you see any chance? Maybe the weather uh, intervening, or
0: any other chances? No, I don't think so. Uh, as they say, there is no fat chance in hell. <laughs> Sorry for those words, but yeah, well. I think they're they're they're, they're downbeat. I, I don't think they they have anything there. Um, so maybe you know, like like I was proven wrong by uh, Sri Lanka. I would love to be proven wrong again. Good point. Huh? You know,
1: it's good. It's not a problem. Uh, We would all be really welcomely surprised if that were to happen, right? Mm. So, uh, before we move on from the world of test cricket, there are a couple of other interesting uh, news stories that have come across. Mm. So, the first thing is, um, we saw that, uh, you know, MCC's uh, Cricket World Committee have come up with a set of suggestions for tests. Mm. Uh, Were you able to look at this, uh, Giri? No, not in great detail, no. Okay. All right, so uh, there is this uh, countdown timer clock that has been introduced. So they have come up with a set of three suggestions, right? So this MCC uh, Cricket World Committee is a bunch of really, uh, let's say, stalwart cricketers, both past and present, right? There's uh, Shakibal Hassan, there's Sangak Kara. Mike, Mike Gatting is the chairman, of course. There's Vincent van der There's Sorof Ganguly. There's Vaughan, right? It's a very, uh, let's say, august body. And when you look at it, uh, they have come up with a couple of suggestions. The first suggestion is that uh, there should be a timer clock. So this timer clock will be displayed on the big scoreboard because these days they have big scoreboards for showing the you know, the third umpire decisions and so on and so forth. Where it will count down from 45 seconds from the moment over is called from one end. So that in 45 seconds, the next door should begin. So in case there is a new batsman, this is 60 seconds. But if there is a you know change of bowler, it might be 80 seconds. So they have some they have thought up of some rules for this. The idea is if it's broken first time, the fielding team will be given a warning. Second time also there will be another warning. But from third time onwards, the opposition will start getting fire run penalty. That means you will lose runs if you are not doing things on time. This is a good way of trying to enforce you know the number of overs that are being lost. Uh, they are trying to recover it and make sure teams bowl a lot of overs. This is a good thing. The next thing they are uh, you know coming up with. Is that should there be a free hit for no-ball and test so that you know these days we see more and more that there are no balls whenever there is a dismissal it's almost automatic that uh, there is a check for a no-ball right so and more and more we have seen that uh, no balls have been uh, sort of missed whenever there was a dismissal that occurred so in because of this they are also considering introducing the free hit just as a deterrent right for fast bowlers or bowlers in general the last one is based on the current trend based on what current cricketing captains are saying, Virat Kohli, Fafri Plessy, among others, that, you know, sort of um, Duke's ball probably should be preferred as the de facto ball or the standard ball for test cricket everywhere. This is one of the ideas that they're proposing, right? Especially uh, for day tests, of course. Duke doesn't come up uh, with the pink ball for day-night tests. So for pink ball, it'll still be kookapura. So it's just uh, some the ideas
0: that they're going to come up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you have to say, Kiri? I think uh, timer clocks is uh, a good idea because we've mm-hmm. seen time wasting uh, being done by uh, you know batsmen especially in order to save a test match for example tying their uh-huh. shoelaces you know those kinds of things uh, asking for an additional drink with the drink bag just uh, ten minutes away something like that so
2: mm-hmm.
0: we can probably cut those things out um, free hit for no ball mm, I don't know if that's a good idea it can mm-hmm. be a deterrent I agree but I think no ball is already enough to be honest.
2: Um,
0: mm-hmm. So, uh, let's see. I mean, I, I'm not really a huge fan of that free hit thing. Maybe it's good good in domestic, you know, limited overs cricket. Mm-hmm. But test match cricket, I think we, we still need to keep it a bit uh, free of all these uh, artificial, uh, you know, additives uh, to you make know, it I more entertaining. It to, mm, to make it more entertaining, you know, if we need T20, they need that. Huh? So, okay. um, uh-huh. so about that, and Duke's ball as a preferred, uh, you know, red ball, uh, for day day test matches, I think that's a very good idea.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, uh, SG balls are traditionally suited for subcontinental wickets, especially Indian wickets, mm-hmm. uh, because they seem to be very hard. They don't uh, uh, get uh, worn out quickly, unlike a Kookaburra or a Duke's ball in subcontinent conditions. But maybe Dukes can work out uh, work it out and you know make a, make a ball which is also uh, usable in subcontinent conditions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, a Kookaburra is more a, more a con- I think it's a consistent in terms of performance um, um but i think introducing dukes like they did in west indies uh, for example last time around uh or a, was it a special type of dukes which was more durable that was in, yes. uh, used in the series between west indies and england which turned it out was being trialed. yeah it was being trialed um i think duke also swings in the air a bit more uh, i don't know what the difference is but uh, it, I think it generally swings a bit more I really mm-hmm. I think I, I'm, I'm a fan of this I think they should use one uh, ball for test cricket and one ball for um, uh, you know limited overs cricket like they do with uh, kookaburra at the moment <coughs> okay uh, for uh, white ball cricket uh, pink ball I don't know uh, They, I think they're still using kookaburra right uh, for whichever yes. match that has been played yes. in the southern hemisphere so far yes um So I think there's some very good, uh, interesting additions, Uh, especially the timer part. I really like that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: No ball and uh, Dukes. Yeah, uh, mixed thoughts about that. Dukes, I think it's not a bad idea at all. Yeah. I
1: sort of agree with your thoughts there because, you know, uh, when it comes to Dukes, you covered it, uh, all the points. The only thing is, I think, spinners like Dukes better as well. Dukes has a more pronounced seam, which Mm -hmm. means spinners like it right? Mm-hmm. Especially spinners who played in the county cricket like Ashwin, all subcontinental, subcontinental players, Shaki Balasan, they seem to prefer Dukes. Because in, in in England, the default ball is Dukes, right? When they play first class cricket. So I think when they play there, they have seen the effect of Dukes over a longer period of time and because it has a more pronounced seam, they like it. This is mm-hmm. one of the things. And one of the most critical, uh, okay, let's say one of the more uh, strident critics, let me put it this way, of mm-hmm. the yeah. SG ball is Kohli. Over the last couple of seasons, I think he's been very unhappy about the use of uh, SG balls. And uh, his words have seemed to have taken some effect because uh, Mike Gatting, while saying uh, uh, why, you know, Dukes might be a choice, he used Kohli and Fav Plessy as an example. Right. And then, of course, well, Vaughan seemed to sort of be very interested about this no ball idea. He says, you know, if it's already done in other formats of cricket and people are already familiar with it, why not also do it in test cricket is one of the reasons he gives. And the other thing is it adds to an additional excitement because you know, even though you get to see a player probably only once in a limited hours match in a test match somehow the player's dismissal is a bit more you know, a bit more uh, important, he says. Mm -hmm. So then if a free hit is included, it might add to that much excitement to a fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, I agree with you. Sort of that doesn't make too much sense to me. But anyway, I mean, we'll have to see. These are all recommendations, right? That's the first thing. These are all recommendations. And we'll have to be uh, uh, seen whether, uh, you know, the ICC, the uh, governing body, will take MCC's recommendations. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Let's see. This is one point. The other point is, well, you know, uh, MCC, Uh, let's say, the spiritually governing body or the body that sort of governs the laws of cricket, they do a yearly survey about, uh, you know, how popular Test Match Cricket is and whether Test Match Cricket is really on the wane. Well, over the last two years, if you look at the results of the survey, it's exactly the opposite. Because in this year's survey, which was conducted among, you know, about 13,000 people across 100 countries, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, 86% of the fans who polled seem to prefer Test Match Cricket. They were saying Test Match Cricket is the real primacy of cricket and they really wanted to see Test Match Cricket, right? So this is a very good spread. Last year, if you look at these numbers, it was 10,000 people who polled and it was um, about 70% plus people preferring Test Cricket. So if you look at it, you know, Test Match Cricket in itself, people polling at least seem to really like Test Match Cricket. But uh, this is an interesting uh, stat, isn't it, Kiri? Because off-air you were telling me, uh, not all countries are able to pull a lot of crowds for tests.
0: It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Case in point, uh, you know, for, for example, if you consider a country like Australia, uh, we have the the Boxing Day Test match at MCG, which turns out to be you know a huge you know, there is a huge turnout. Um, the pink Test match they play uh, beginning of New Year uh, at Sydney SCG, that's also a big turnout. Uh, all these traditional venues um, seem to have a lot of you know pull. But also because I think cricket is also Australia's national uh, sport, if I'm not wrong. So they are, they also have, you know, mm-hmm. generally the interest level is much higher in Australia, and they seem to like the purer form, or the pure form of cricket, which is just cricket. Um, and I think it also depends on the visiting team. Uh, if you have a team from subcontinent like India or Pakistan, mm-hmm. for that matter, even Sri Lanka in Australia. I think you tend to have more crowds because there is a diaspora from these countries. You know, the local uh, population have people from you know the who, whose origins are from one of these countries. So you can have people mm-hmm. over there as well.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, come to think of it, um, just thinking about South Africa, you know, uh, South Africa, Sri Lanka. We had a series uh, a few weeks ago, uh, test series, and I was just trying to remember uh, what the turnout was at uh, Port Elizabeth, the second test match, which uh, Sri Lanka won. Mm-hmm. it's a matter of fact mm-hmm. um, maybe that was not a popular uh, <laughs> series for the local cricket fans, it didn't turn out, turn out a lot but uh, the, if you compare these two series there, I think South Africa had less people uh, in the grounds compared with uh, Australia for example mm-hmm. um, West Indies did have a big turnout because the, the, where the recently concluded series between West Indies and England there, there was a bigger turnout Uh, Mm -hmm. generally you know calypso cricket people are uh, more passionate over there Mm -hmm. so they do they do like to support their teams and these are small islands you know they don't have a lot of cricket matches played through the year so whenever they get an opportunity i think they come and see the game also a lot of tourists you know Mm -hmm. uh, from uh, across the atlantic they also visit uh, these west indian venues to um, watch these test matches um i think I think it's, it's not so bad, you know, come to think of it, just uh, trying to visualize different stadiums in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I, I have a few qualms when it comes to uh, the subcontinent venues. I think there are not enough people. There's not enough interest generated, especially within the younger uh, generations, to
2: mm-hmm. come and
0: visit, uh, you know, watch a, a test match um, in subcontinent, for example, in India. Uh, maybe we need to do a little more there. Uh, you know, to pull uh, more crowds out? Well, I mean, if, if you were to, you
1: know, you brought up a couple of very relevant points there because first of all, in certain countries, definitely test matches are more popular than others, right? Mm-hmm. What I can tell you is even if you look at it in India, there are a couple of traditionally, you know, favorite venues when it comes to test matches. Mm-hmm. Chennai, Bangalore, Mohali, you know, Chittagong, Kolkata, of course, right? Yeah. These are all sort of, even Hyderabad to an extent, these are all where people are very knowledgeable and usually the crowds are always present. So in subcontinents as well. But on the other hand, recently there was a test match in Nagpur, if I'm not wrong. They were not very popular or there were not a lot of people present there. So uh, if you look at it, so probably, uh, you know, the cricket boards would do really well by understanding which are traditionally the favorite venues in a given, you know, environment. Because I don't, if I remember right, when Sri Lanka played a test match recently, if I'm not wrong, in Canberra, right, there were not a lot of people there. But on the other hand, as you say, when you look at traditional favourites like MCG or SCG, you can always expect that these stadiums will have a near full turnout, mm. right? Mm. So, it's up to the administrators who are really looking at uh, administering the game to understand which are traditionally the favourite venues, right? Mm. And then sort of make sure test matches are staged only on those venues. But the other matches can be used for the limited over games. Yeah. I think Indian gov- Indian, uh, you know, the people who govern Indian cricket have sort of got this wrong. They are still trying to work it out, but Mm. they sort of identified places like Ranchi, you know, Dharmashala, they had a test match recently. So they are sometimes trying to experiment. If it's a four, five, you know, uh, test match series, they have more bandwidth. Mm. But usually three of those tests would always be played in one of the traditional venues. Each would get you know, something like that. So it's a very Mm. good point. But, you know, I would rather see more people. I'm still a big fan of trying to make test test cricket, uh, you know, day, night. Make it a four-day day-night test match mm. to see, you know, more people who are sort of coming back from their work every day, end of the day, are able to come join, uh, enjoy the game. That's my...
0: You're you echoing uh, Rahul Dravid's uh, suggestion there. Oh, right? was it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. He, he was also a fan of four-day test matches, right, if I'm not wrong. And the other thing you mentioned about cricket uh, grounds in India, you know, uh, and uh, trying to increase the turnout. Mm-hmm. What I will tell you they should not do is never play a limited-overs match in Bangalore, <laughs> <China Swan>. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're going, yes. Yeah, well, it's, you know, um, but anyway, jokes apart. Um, so uh, it's, it's quite an interesting topic. Um, so I hope the, the administrators are uh, making better plans, you know, for uh, future series uh, such that we, we, we get to see more people, you know, so watching a test match from the stadium. Uh, in and amongst the people, you know, in and amongst the players, that's an that's it's, it's a wonderful atmosphere. It's it's theatre, you know. If you're a real fan, you would like to come and watch a test match in the ground. Indeed. So, people who are out there, you know, listening to our podcast, mm-hmm. we really encourage you to go out and watch a test match from the stadium, you know. Indeed, yeah. good point, Kitty Very good yeah. one.
1: So, uh, you know, one last thing, of course, uh, Kane Williamson uh, has an injured shoulder, and uh, also B J Watling. Had an injured hamstring, he was not able to keep on the last yeah. day. So I think both these uh, both these players are sort of on notice, and okay. their uh, you know their calls, their participation in the match will be sort of decided more or less on the day of the match, morning of the match, so to say. Uh, I think yeah. uh, you know that that's the news coming from the New Zealand camp. But does it have any bearing on the series? <laughs> I would be I would be very you know, surprised if it did. Uh, I mean, yeah. not to belittle not to belittle okay. the Bangladesh Test match team, but mm-hmm. they've really uh, they have really not shown much of a, you know chance of. I was so hopeful after the end of the first Test match that you know there may be another South Asian South Asian team sort of making a difference, mm. but we really are not able to see this. I think Bangladesh team has to go a little way before they can become good, uh, you know, uh, travelers. When it comes to test match, because I think what their one-day team is doing well. But with the test matches, I think the difference in, uh, uh, let's say, the preparation and uh, ability to play certain conditions becomes very obvious. Uh, Look, even teams as, as, let's say, as strong as India are only now trying to, you know, get into the groove of being good travellers. South Africa have always been very good travellers. Teams like Australia used to be good travellers, but now even they had lost the knack of it. Uh, England are sort of picking it up. So, it's it's not just for Asian or uh, South Asian teams, but you can see that, uh, you know, there are always teams that travel, uh, not always travel really well. So, some, something to just we will look forward to that. We'll see how that goes the third test match.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter what the uh, end result is. What we would like to see is a fight, you know, from the travelling team. That's what we always look forward to from a travelling team. I think that's also um, a metric they use to, measure their own performance, how well they can, uh, you know, sustain pressure for five continuous days. Agreed. Right? So, now
1: very good point,
0: man. Good point. Yeah. So, good cricket, you know, as you say, yeah. exciting cricket is what we need. Exciting test cricket. Yeah. We, when we and lost... what happened, you know. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I, I just want to mention one more thing here. Look at what happened last year in uh, when India visited South Africa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a 2-1, you know. It was a closely fought series. Again, in England, 4-1. Although yeah. in India lost the series, they, there were some very hard-fought matches there. A couple of them were very close. Could have Same. gone either way. Um, so, you know, if, 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 this is something, uh, as a true cricket fan, we would like to see. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. Good program. points. All good points. Mm-hmm. All right. So, now, uh,
1: let's move on to the ODI part. The ODI, I yeah. got the limited hours leg of this uh, podcast. Let's go for yeah. it, Kiri. Maybe yeah, the India yeah,
0: versus
1: Australia. Yeah, let's start uh, with India versus yeah. Australia.
0: Yeah, sure. Let's start with that then. Um, so uh, this the, India played in the in the in between our previous episode and uh, the current episode, mm-hmm. India played a couple of uh, one day matches against mm-hmm. Australia. The first one was played at Ranchi. The second was was played at uh, Chandigarh. We'll come mm-hmm. to Chandigarh in a moment. <clears throat> the one that was played in Ranchi was, um, uh, you know, it was a day nighter, like all the uh, matches we have these days in one day uh, one day cricket. Most of them. Uh, I think they are one uh, day nighters. Um, Ranchi happens to be Mahendra Singh Dhoni's home ground, so return, uh, you know, uh, return home for the local hero.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, getting down to the game, uh, India won the toss and uh, inserted Australia to bat first in expectation of a dew that would mm-hmm. arrive apparently by 7 p.m. that evening this mm-hmm. was a mockery in the commentary by mayil <laughs> kartik and these uh, sunil gavaskar i think they, they had a uh, quite a humorous conversation but anyway uh, on with the match um, australia batting first made a mammoth 313 runs for the loss of five wickets in their 50 overs um, mm-hmm. the surprising or a happy news for australia from australia's uh, perspective was the return to form of uh, one Mr. Aaron Finch, the captain of the Uh team, Uh who scored 93 runs of 99 balls. He looked more fluent uh, than uh, in his previous two outings in the same uh, series. Hmm. Uh, So he made uh, 93 runs, and uh, so did uh, Usman Khwaja, who did better than that. In fact, scored his first one-day century, 104 Mm -hmm. runs from 113 balls. They had a... Big opening stand um, for India's bowlers. There was not much to uh, you know talk about. They they all went for runs. You know, looking at the score of 313, pretty much everybody went for runs. And uh, the pick was pick of the bowlers was Mohammed Shami, who went for one for 52 in his ten overs. Mm-hmm. Kuldeep Yadav, of course, uh, although he went for a few runs, he got three wickets um, for 64 runs in his ten overs. Mm-hmm. Uh, in response, India unfortunately were. Uh, bowled out for 281
2: runs
0: Mm -hmm. uh, in, you know, in 48.2 overs. So they didn't even manage to complete their 50 overs. Um, Vijay Shankar scored uh, a quickfire 32 runs in the middle order, but the standout player, you know, continuing, uh, you know, with his um, continuing his good run during the past 12 to 18 months uh, was Virat Kohli, who made... uh, Quicker century, actually, uh, this time around. 123 from 95 deliveries. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he was the only guy. I think there was no one else who, you know, continued or who took it deep for uh, the Indian batsmen. Um, Pick of the bowlers, you know, uh, Pat Cummins. We have talked about this guy time and again. It turns out to be such... Uh, you know, uh, such an indispensable uh, player for their team. He picked up three wickets for 37 runs in his uh, 8.2 overs. Mm-hmm. So um, another um, you know new guy coming in, Joy Richardson, who also picked up three wickets for 37 runs. These two guys had uh, uh, you know India on the mat kind of. They they couldn't accelerate at all. Uh, so yeah. uh, they they couldn't uh, manage to catch up with uh, the asking rate at all. So India were pulled out for 281 runs and. Yeah, for for his you know century in the uh, in Australia's innings, Usman Khwaja was awarded the player of the match, mm-hmm. and uh, that's about it. And Australia came back. India had a lead of 2-0 in the series before this match. Australia came back uh, with a victory here, so they the the series was two one with everything to play for in the next two games. Mm-hmm. Additional thoughts from you, Hajit?
1: well uh, just a couple of uh, you know mentions uh, i think uh, glenn maxwell deserves a little bit of uh, kudos for his innings uh, for Quickfire 41 he made you know uh, even though finch and kwaja were, uh, came up with a very big partnership their partnership was very close to you know uh, run a ball but the thing was, there was a bit of lagging momentum by the time uh, Finch was dismissed, right? Mm-hmm. So And uh, Khaja slowed down just a little when he was approaching his 100. So here, Len Maxwell, who came up with uh, no 31 ball 47 with three sixes and three fours, he deserves a little bit of credit. And of course, Stoyness and Carey were finishing it off, right? and getting there to 313. Mm-hmm. One thing I found good was, I think Shami's spell, what you already said, him and Bumrah between them, they sort of held Australia back. It was very likely Australia would finish closer to 350 from the 35th or onwards. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, uh, Glenn Maxwell was sort of beginning to open out his arms. But then they did a very good job there. And Kuldi Yadav, we already mentioned rightly. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to Indian innings, right? So there were a bunch of, no contributions, 26 each from Dhoni and Jadhav. Shankar Reddy making a 32, Jadeja making a 24. There were contributions and Kohli sort of held one end. But as you say, they were always behind the eight ball because of good Australian fast bowling. But the last thing I would like to say is that, uh, you know, we've sort of overlooked uh, Zampa, who mm-hmm. sort of dismissed the entire middle order. Right. He took out Kohli, Dhoni and Jadav. So, even though he gave away 70 runs, again, an archetypical Lex bowling performance where he sort of targeted and took out the main, let's say, the uh, important batsman of -hmm. the opposition innings. Therefore, he was also instrumental in winning the match. So, Mm -hmm. that was a very good comeback by Australia to take the score to 2-1. Shall we look at the fourth one there?
0: Yeah, let's move on. Uh, The fourth match at Chandigarh. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just trying to find who won the toss. I think it was India again who won the toss this time. Viratko uh-huh. won the toss, and uh, they elected to bat first. Yeah. Expecting yeah. that there was not going to be any due when Australia, Australia would come out to bat uh, in the second innings. Uh, uh, surprise, surprise. We'll come to that in a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Chandigarh, um, this wicket was, uh, I think it was a true pace wicket. It was much easy to bat on. People could hit ball on the rise, so uh-huh. they expected a big score here. Yes. And the way India started out uh, with uh, Rohit Sharma and Shikhar Dhawan off to mm-hmm. a flyer, Yes, uh, you know, back to their usual self, you can say that. Um, yes. So, Rohit Sharma missed out on a century. He made 95 from 92 runs. Shikhar Dhawan mm-hmm. did manage to get a century, his highest score, in fact, in one-day cricket, mm-hmm. 143 runs from 115 deliveries. He was timing everything beautifully, hitting the gaps quite comfortably. Right. He looked very fluent. And these two guys added, um, I think they added 193 runs uh, for the first wicket mm-hmm. uh, by the f- 31st over. Right. And I think when uh, that one got out, the the only other guy who looked more fluent was probably Rishapanth. Pant yes. made 36 runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hit four four boundaries and a six. He looked quite flamboyant in his you know, like. like we uh, you know we expect from him mm-hmm. and there were some starts in the middle order but nobody could you know take the innings forward or, or you know propel the innings forward india looked set to score 400 runs but they could only muster uh, 359 runs for 6 wickets with the last mm-hmm. ball sorry 358 runs for uh, nine wickets mm-hmm. with the last ball six from jaspreet Bumrah <laughs> yes 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 <laughs> that was that was quite a uh, you know uh, quite a sight uh, to behold, Um yeah. Australia in Britain—they uh, were—they um, were in a spot of bother with a couple of quick wickets uh, claimed by uh, Bhuvneshwar Kumar and Sean Marsh
2: mm-hmm. of
0: Aaron Finch and uh, Bone Kumar and Jaspreet Bumrah, I'm sorry—and yeah. they claimed the wickets of Aaron Finch and uh, Sean Marsh respectively for you know very uh, cheap runs. Mm-hmm. So Australia were two down for 12 runs, and in came uh, Peter Hanscombe who is supposed to be a better player of spin, uh, spin bowling, and uh, I think he's there in the team for that precise reason. Uh, and him and Kwaja Khwaja continued with his good form, he made 91 runs, uh, while um, Peter Hanscom scored a century 117 runs uh, and took Australia closer to the target. And when um, uh, I think Hanscom was dismissed, and so, and so Maxwell uh hands come these guys when they were dismissed i think the score was 271 runs mm-hmm. for uh, for the loss of five wickets with i think maybe nine overs remaining nine overs yes. remaining and they needed something like uh, 80 runs or something 80 85 runs indeed and i think the sta- uh, the, the difference between the two sides was the due dew factor mm-hmm. uh, and also ashton turner of course, Ashton Turner, uh, the Perth Scorchers batsman, who did who did well for his team, I think last season, mm-hmm. in Big Bash, he made he played an unbelievable innings of 84 runs from 43 deliveries, which included six sixes and five fours, uh, and along with uh, I think uh, Alex Carey, uh, who played a supporting role there for 21 runs, mm-hmm. he made sure that Australia were home, you know, with two overs to spare. That was uh, how dominating an innings his uh, 84 runs was. Yes. He, he took them home with two hours to spare, and Australia finished with 359 runs for uh, six wickets. And um, Indian bowlers, well, they all went for pretty a lot of runs. Uh, I think everybody was expensive, but Jaspeed Bumrah managed to pick three wickets, along with mm-hmm. Bhuvneshwar Kumar, who bowled an in-swinger to dismiss uh, Aaron Finch at the beginning of the innings at the top of the order. Um, the the noticeable part was that the spinners went for a lot of runs. Kuldeep Yadav and Chahel
2: mm-hmm.
0: went for a lot of runs, and there were not many wickets in between them. Usually, they claim four to five wickets in a match, yeah. but this time they only managed two wickets, and that was probably the reason they couldn't dismiss. They had some chances, you know. We'll talk about that, but uh, yeah. they couldn't capitalize. Uh, and Australia have squared the series to all with everything to play for at uh, Farooqia Kotla.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, look. uh, If you look at if you look at some of the misses from the Indian team, right? Mm -hmm. That that was completely unexpected because Mm -hmm. uh, this Indian team, given that there is such a solid start from Sharma and Davan right at the top, they rarely miss out on it. Well, Kohli had to miss out on one day or the other. So this is something new, right? With uh, Rahul coming in. Kohli is now batting at four. I think this might be something we might look forward to in the coming matches because Shastri was talking about it, you know, that India would like to experiment with Kohli at four because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, people like Jadhav and uh, uh, Dhoni can then finish the match or maybe Pant, you know, can finish the match off. So with this in mind, uh, this might be the new setup that India might be trying. It it was sort of completely unexpected that uh, they missed out on completing a slightly bigger score, so except uh, Pant and maybe Vijay Shankar. So, Jadhav failed. Also, uh, you know, Kohli had failed already. And Rahul took up a little bit of balls. I was hoping he'll continue on, but he couldn't. As a result, sort of the, a little bit of a momentum was sucked out in the middle, right? Yeah. That was unexpected. And there, I would like to give a little bit of credit to Zampa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Finch cleverly introduced himself for three overs. And then, even though Maxwell's final analysis was not very good, he was used in the right way, you know. Maxwell was brought in in the 41st, 43rd over, and so on, by Finch, so that even though he was going for a few runs, it was somehow much better when it when it comes to you know uh, they saw whenever there was pace on the ball, Indian batsmen would hit out. So Jay Richardson went for a lot of runs. Berendorf did well, but I think Pat Cummins deserves a lot of kudos for a five 4 there.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Only thing, uh, nothing can be taken away from the way. Ashton Turner played, he literally turned the match and it said, I, when I was watching it, I was sort of under the impression this is India's match, right? With the number of runs required and not a lot of batting to come, but this guy has a finishing pedigree, as you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has built up a very good finishing pedigree in the you know, PBL, and I was sort of debating with somebody on Twitter saying, you know, since Stoinis is not playing, this must be India's match, what uh, pedigree does this guy bring in and what little did I know, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's one thing. And the other thing, as you said, this uh, dew on the ball made sure India was not really fielding well. They dropped a few chances. There were a lot of misfields, overthrows, a lot of interesting things that we have not seen from this Indian team. They're a much more professionally drilled outfit these days, right? Mm. So, this was an Indian team from the 90s almost. <laughs> a lot of you know, yeah. funny fieldings, misfieldings, all of these things. And I think you could clearly see the frustration of the Indian captain. You know? And he, I think he said it uh, also after the match that he was not really not uh, happy about it and they're a much more professional you know, outfit and they must conduct themselves as such. Mm. So he did not mince his words there. But all kudos to uh, Ashton Turner. I think this guy is one to watch out for. And also the duo on the ball meant the spinners were not effective. You know, the uh, Yadav and Chahal, between them, if you look at it, for 25 overs, they have gone at more than 8 an over. This was the real killer, as far as India yeah. was concerned. They were probably not counting on that, right? Mm-hmm. Alright, those were some some points. I just thought I'll bring it up. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, shall we go forward then? Uh, so, shall we look at some of the other uh, short format cricket going on? Maybe, let's yeah. quickly look at, you know,
0: South the Africa South Africa
2: versus...
0: Yeah, yeah. Go, for it, go for it. Yeah, let's do a quick summary of this. Um, so, it's, this was the second uh, one-day match between uh, S- Sri Lanka and South Africa. Mm -hmm. In this series, Mm -hmm. Um, was played at Centurion. Um, So Sri Lanka won the toss and decided to field first. Mm -hmm. They made uh, 251 runs. They were bold Uh, Sorry, Uh, I am sorry. I think South Africa won the toss in this on this occasion. All right, or not? I am checking that. Sri Lanka, yeah, Sri Lanka won the toss and they in fact inserted South Africa. So I was Mm -hmm. wrong two times. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Never mind. Mixing up things here. Right. Uh, always happens with me, uh, but anyway, um, South Africa were bowled out for 251 runs um, mm-hmm. um, within their 50 overs, so they were bowled out in 45.1 overs. Mm-hmm. Uh, top scorers for for them was a captain with 57 runs from 66 deliveries. But uh, you know uh, what what we see him do these days, you know, on a regular basis is Quinton de Kock, who made 94 runs wow. in 70 deliveries. Mm-hmm. Um, so with those two scores, they were able to reach 251 runs. Mm-hmm. Um, Malinga was back on form. Mm-hmm. Uh, he picked up two wickets for 39 runs in his nine overs. Uh, and Tisara Pereira was also very effective with his uh, kind of Dibbly doubles three for 26 uh-huh. runs in his seven overs. Right. Uh, in return, in reply, Sri Lanka made 138 runs. They were bowled out, in fact, for mm-hmm. 138 runs in 32.2 overs. No real uh, standout performances there. Oshada Fernando made 31 runs from 45, and uh, Kusal Mendis made uh, 24 runs. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, uh, no one else contributed. Engidi picked up a couple of wickets in his five overs. uh, And um, Rabada was bowling quite fast, I have to say, in this match. He was Uh uh, going 151 152. Wow. Very fired up. he picked up three wickets for uh, 43 runs. Um, yeah, so that was the match. Uh, Quinton de Cork was uh, named uh, the player of the match for his 94 runs. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, yeah, South Africa, you know, uh, wrapped it up prior pretty comfortably in the end. Then. Yeah. Indeed. Now, you
1: got it all right. You know, this 94 was a really... Tall score, along with Fafi he who's also in a golden run of form. Because, you know, South, South Africa sort of fell away. You would expect the way the platform was set, you know, they were 131 for, for one after just 20 overs. It was very much looking like they would really go on to make a 300-plus score. Right? A lot of credit to the Sri Lankan bowlers there. They pulled it back wonderfully. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you said, Pereira did a good, some good work. Dhananjia kept the uh, lid on scoring. So did Rajita, actually right and then towards the end uh, you know malinga came back and with all his experience they made sure they could not really go get away with it but then 251 turned out to be more than enough as you said there was no real big uh, scorers at all from the sri lankan side yeah right
0: so yeah uh, shall we go on to the next one then yeah yeah let's do that uh, the next one was played at durban um the third one day match uh, on this occasion uh, <clears throat> on this occasion uh, sri lanka won the toss and elected to field again Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, South Africa were very happy to bat out there. Mm-hmm. Um, in the previous match, Quinton de Kock missed out on a century, but this time he made sure he did get to the triple figure. So he, he got 121 runs from 108 deliveries.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Rassie van de Dussen got a 50 uh, from 67 deliveries. Uh, Sri Lankan Bowlers went for a lot of runs. Uh, you know, Udana went for, got a couple of wickets, but he went for 50 runs in his eight overs. Mm-hmm. I think I think uh, Mendes was the only guy who looked a bit economical in his figures. 10 overs, 1 for 45. But mm-hmm. South Africa managed to score 331 runs for the loss of five wickets before, you know, uh, at the end of 50 overs. Right. In right, reply, right. Um, I think there was a rain delay in this match. Um, so there was some overs lost mm-hmm. uh, in Sri Lankan innings. Uh, and the the target was revised to 193 runs. Uh, in 24 overs. I think it's more or less similar to a T20 match, I think, but it was uh, uh, too much for South Africa. Uh, Sri Lanka, in the end, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they could only manage 121 runs for the loss of five wickets in the 24 overs that were uh, uh, stipulated to be played yeah. in the mm-hmm. second innings. And South Africa won by 71 runs according to the Duckworth Lewis measures, Duckworth Lewis mm-hmm. uh, method. Um, the Fernando made 25 runs for uh, Sri Lanka. Kusal Mendis made 41 runs but um, that's about it imran tahir again a couple of wickets for him rabada was yeah. also very good with uh, a wicket in 6 overs so it was it was a um, i think it turned out to be a tame uh, uh, you know match in the end with uh, sri lanka not able to manage
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, anything out of this right. so so south africa lead or in fact they have taken a an unassailable lead now in this five-match ODI series with 3-0. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, shaping up to be a tame end to this uh, South African uh, tour of... Or Sri Lankan tour of South Africa. Well, well, the miracles happened in the test matches,
1: didn't they? <laughs> that yeah. meant, you know, maybe the Sri Lankan team was a bit spent and the South African team was very determined. But, yeah. uh, you know, just a couple of statistical things. So, there were two changes to the Sri Lankan team that played in the previous match. So, one was Isuru Udana, whom you covered, and Mendes, mm-hmm. Kamindu Mendes. Right, Isuru Udana is you know your archetypical, vast like polar, left arm, medium pacer. But this guy has a lot of tricks up his sleeve, he's practiced them all over the T20 leagues, you know. And he's very good, and he was one of the guys instrumental in holding South Africa back. The other nice thing is uh, this into Mendes is an ambidextrous bowler, so he bowls with both the arms, both left and right. And I, I, if I heard, I was hearing a bit of the radio commentary. And the radio commenters mentioned that uh, he was able to switch even between overs. He was indicating to the batsman that he would switch between left and right. And he did that. right? So that was another, you know, something curious for uh, the people who follow cricket. It was very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Apart from that, really, there was not a uh, lot to talk about in the Sri Lankan innings. Unfortunately, they fell way behind the rate at the beginning. And a lot of kudos to the ground staff at Turban who were able to get enough water out of the pitch and the surrounding area so that the match could resume. Because it was sort of a write-off, more or less. It was really unlucky that Sri Lanka had to come back. But when they came back, they were, I think, chasing uh, 112 runs from 48 balls. That was how far behind they had gotten. Yeah. So, it was it was a really tough thing to do. And uh, they couldn't. They tried their best. But they ended up losing more wickets. So, that meant, you know, Sri Lanka take uh, well, they lose the series. And, uh, you know, South Africa have taken it. And uh, yeah, uh, the caravan moves on. But uh, I think Sri Lanka will look to salvage some pride here. That's about it. Right? Yeah. So now, uh, let's go on to the other uh, series. Mm -hmm. So there is another ODI series that just uh, finished. It was between uh, Afghanistan and Ireland. So if you were to quickly look at the two matches, the fourth ODI and the fifth one, the fourth one was played on the eighth and the fifth one on tenth. And both were played in the Dehradun Stadium, right? Rajiv Gandhi Stadium in Dehradun. So on the fourth ODI, if you were to look at the scorecard quickly, uh, Afghanistan batting first were uh, rolled over for 223. So in this case, uh, they had some very important contributions from the captain, askar Af Khan, right, And then uh, they had a lot of lower order contributions, Nabi and Rashid Khan basically dragged them out of a lot of trouble. So Afghanistan were uh, really sinking at 5467. First, uh, the captain, Askar afghan uh, sort of steadied the ship with Nabi, but then Nabi and Rashid Khan put the finishing touches with all three of them scoring half centuries. And a lot of credit to the Irish bowlers. They kept it tight. And 223 looked like a chaseable target on that pitch. But the Afghan bowling came through beautifully and Ireland were rolled over for 114. There were no major contributors in the Irish innings except Porterfield, who made 21. And then Simi Singh and Kevin O'Brien, who also made 20s. So a lot of credit to the fast bowlers of Afghanistan because after took four wickets. And then uh, Gulbadin Naib also took one. But uh, this mystery spinner, Mujib Rahman took two. And of course, Rashid Khan, he also took two wickets. So with this, Afghanistan uh, took the two, uh, took a 2-1 series lead. And going into the last match of the series, if you remember, one of the matches were straight out. So in the fifth ODI, uh, Afghanistan again batted first. And again, they only made a sort of a middle-of-the-road score. They made a 216 for 6. In this case, again, their captain, he made his third consecutive half-century on the trot and he made an 82 before retiring hurt in the last over. Mm-hmm. right? And then he was ably supported by Nabi, who took a few more balls than normal for a 40. And then Rashid Khan hit out at the end. And they tried to you know salvage some something and 216 again looked like the similar sort of a total as the previous match but in this match afghanistan could not defend the target so the openers uh, paul sterling and uh, porterfield put on a good show uh, even though porterfield could not make a lot of runs they gave them a solid 50 plus start and then andrew balbirnie and then kevin obrien later consolidated this and made sure there were no panic as ireland comfortably came out on top with five wickets left yeah. right mm-hmm. so That basically means, you know, Afghanistan uh, sort of brought in a spinner called Zahir Khan. Left arm, slow left arm, not a fast bowler, of course.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And uh, in spite of that, they couldn't, uh, you know, hold uh, Ireland from winning this match. And that meant the series was drawn to all. What this effectively leads to is that, uh, you know, the the test starts on 15th. The one-off test between Ireland and, uh, you know, Afghanistan for both teams, uh, it starts uh, on uh, Fifteenth, and this is the second test. So both teams have lost their first test, but they kept it, you know, in contrasting styles. So I think both teams will have a point to prove. They'll be looking for the test first test Mm -hmm. win, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. So it's going to be interesting. Let's see how it goes. Uh, So now that was the Afghanistan versus Ireland series, and I think in our upcoming episodes we'll cover the test match. So I'm very for you know keenly looking forward to that one.
2: Yeah.
1: So that'll mean we can go on to the. England versus India women's one-day series, uh, T20 series. So it was the second and the third T20. So if you look at it, uh, so India lost the series 3-0, right? So they were already one nil behind on the series. But what happened was sort of unexpected. This Indian women's team has some pedigree, but in the second match, they were rolled over for 111 with no major contributors, in the batting, Katherine Brunt took three wickets. And then uh, England chased it down without too much of a uh, hassle because Danny Watt, uh, the opener, carried her bat for a 64 unbeaten. She was well supported by Winfield. That meant, you know, even the match went into the last over, England won it comfortably. They only lost five wickets, right? The Indian spinners was completely uh, ineffective. And uh, Shikha Pandey did her bit, but there was nobody really supporting her. And they came out comfortably, victors England. That meant they took the series 2-0. And in the last match in Gohati, uh, Indian team had a good chance of winning. So this was, again, a points thing. They didn't want to give all three wins to the England women's team. So they did well to restrict England to 119 for six. And they batted well. Uh, they batted well around Smithy Mandana, who made 58, and Mithali Raj, who made 30. Uh, though a bit slowly. Uh, in the end... India started the last over of the match requiring three runs to win with six wickets in hand. They had Fulmali on strike and all they had to do was move some singles but there was some panic set in and Fulmali blocked three balls and then when she tried to hit out she got out and then India only managed to score one run of the last over and lost two wickets. That effectively meant England won the match by one run. This was completely unexpected and a lot of A lot of credit goes to Kate Cross, who bowled the last over, who kept her cool. You know, most teams sort of give up when it's only three runs. But these days, uh, setting the right field, bowling the ball in the right areas can still mean you can win. This is what this match showed, even in a T20, right? This is very interesting. So, as a result, India lost the series 3-0. So, it was a completely reversal as far as, you know, the Indian women were concerned. But a good overall, well-contested series, one might say. Now... If you were to move on to the West Indies versus England T20 series, right? There was a little bit of doubt between mm. the uh, whether the broadcaster Sky will actually pick up these matches or not because the, the West Indian Cricket Board asked for one million dollars per match, and the sort of a last-minute thing. Sky were sort of balking at it, and then finally they re- reached some sort of a resolution. So uh, the, both the matches were broadcast as per normal,
0: right? Mm. So would you like to take us through the matches, Gary? Yeah, let's look at the scorecard summary. Um, mm. The second T20 match was played at uh, St. Kitts and Nevis. West Indies won the toss and they decided to field first. Um, England made sort of an imposing total of 182 runs for six wickets in their 20 overs Mm
2: -hmm.
0: uh, with Joe Root scoring 55 runs from 40 deliveries. But the standard player was Sam Billings Mm -hmm. with his 87 runs from 47 uh, 47 deliveries. So return to form as well as to the team. Well done to Mm him. Yeah. Um, it was not much about uh, the bowling from west indian side i think cotrell picked up a wicket in his uh, 3 overs mm-hmm. and uh, allen picked up a couple of wickets fabian uh-huh. allen uh, in his uh, 4 overs yeah uh, in re- in response <laughs> yeah, i don't know what to say but west indies were you know bowled out for a paltry 45 runs in 11.5 overs indeed the top scorer uh, in four deliveries you know carlos Brethwaite scored uh, 10 runs and he was the top scorer and my scored mm-hmm. 10 runs from 11 deliveries. though. yeah, you can you can just uh, imagine yes. the the you know the plight of this batting lineup, uh, mm-hmm. the decorated batting lineup without Chris Scale, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Liam Plunkett picked up two wickets for uh, eight runs in his 2.5 overs. Mm-hmm. But Chris Jordan make also making a comeback uh, to this team in this uh, T20 series. He picked up four wickets for six runs in his two overs. Wow, <laughs> that's that's a very good uh, bowling performance.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, player of the match was Sam Billings uh, for his 87 runs, yes. uh, and also he kind of saved their innings. I think they had some quick wickets at the end. Yeah, um, so, so well done to England. They they managed to uh, win this mm-hmm. one against West Indies. Although it was not much of a contest between them.
1: Right. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of credit goes to Joe Root as well. He made a 55, but along with, uh, you know, Sam Billings steadied the ship because England were four down for 32 in the sixth over. So they looked in a bit of trouble and West Indies looked like they were making a comeback. But then the acceleration in the last eight overs was completely unexpected because, you know, the score was, um, let's say, even, even in the 16th over, the score was only around 115, if I remember. So in the last five overs or so, West Indies considered 70 runs. It was completely unexpected. Oh. That meant England ended the first half of the innings in a very positive way, or first half of the match. And when they came out, I don't know what happened. There was a complete meltdown in batting for West Indies. And uh, Willie and Jordan, right? These two are sort of the people who are on the periphery of the England limited-over setup. And Willie, I think, uh, oh. uh, sort of expressed a bit of displeasure about such a lot of hype going around Jofra uh, Archer's possible inclusion in the upcoming tournaments for England, right? So, I think he walked the talk. He was able to show it with his bowling. He was able to pick up two wickets, but very economically he bowled. And of course, Jordan, I thought he was a bit unlucky to miss out on a five-wicket haul, right? But uh, it, it was good. Both of them were really good. So yeah. the, I don't know what happened really. They're, they were missing. Uh, they were having Gale in this match, but even he couldn't do much. Well, you can't expect him to do it every match, I'm sure. So he had a failure, a rare failure, and uh, the rest of the order simply melted away. It was it was very it was very sad yeah. to see that because Jason Holder has taken over the captaincy of this tournament, right? Only for T20 so that there is a continuity for yeah. captaincy. Yeah. I don't know if there is any impact because of that, but. Uh, also, the batting order looked a bit shaky. Uh, Holder was playing at 5. Puran was playing below him. Fabian Allen was promoted above. Carlos Prathwaite. Some of these things looked a bit weird. But then it was a complete meltdown. It was a, almost a telephone directory sort of a scorecard. <laughs> so, not a lot
0: to say there. Yeah. Uh, we can quickly move on to the third uh, T20, I agree. Yeah. So, played at the same ground again. Um, so, I, I mixed up Chris Gale uh you know not playing in the second uh, t20 but in fact he didn't he did play there like you mentioned mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, and he did not play in the third odi chris Gale right. did not play in this match mm-hmm. um so com- coming back to this uh, third t20 mm-hmm. uh, west indies won the toss and this time they said they're going to have a bat first because mm-hmm. uh, they looked at england uh, scored 182 runs on the same uh, in the same ground mm-hmm. um so west indies Unfortunately, uh, couldn't leave up to that uh, you know, uh, decision to bat first. Mm-hmm. They were bowled out for 71 runs. Um, yeah. And you know the guy, not just talking the talk, but also walking the walk, David mm-hmm. Willey,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Uh, picked up four wickets for seven runs. Um, Mark Wood picked up three wickets for nine runs. And the spinner, uh, Adil Rashid, picked up a couple of wickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, West Indies were dismissed for 71 runs inside right. of their 20 overs and they were in fact bowled out in 13 overs um <laughs> this i think they were slightly better than uh, telephone directory numbers this time around because there were i think four people who managed to get in double figures but that was pretty much it uh, right. there's nothing to talk about there about the west indian batting west indian batting performance mm-hmm. um england it was an easy chase for them they managed to you know mm-hmm. get it done in uh, 10.3 overs Right. Uh, for the loss of two wickets, seventy-two for the loss of two wickets.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Alex Hales and Johnny Besto got a you know, steady start. Hales got out for twenty runs, Besto for thirty-seven runs. But Joe Root and uh, Owen Morgan uh, made sure uh, England, you know, finished it off with pretty mm-hmm. much no trouble at all. Right. Yeah, Holder picked up a wicket along with uh, Bishu, but there was yeah nothing really to talk about. Mm-hmm. And you know, David Willey, uh, you know, uh, quite. Rightly, I think he's, he was named the player of the match. Uh, and um, England, you know, whitewashed this series with 3-0, mm-hmm. the T20 series after uh, a hard-fought hard uh, test series and also a hard-fought uh, uh, one-day series where this series was tied 2-2. Mm-hmm. England managed to pull it off uh, in the T20 uh, uh, right. format. Um, player of the series was Chris Jordan. Make mm-hmm. him come back into this team. So, Right. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I think that's the series.
1: Indeed. Well, I mean, uh, nice summary of uh, the events from the third match. I think uh, if you were to go on to the other events from the cricketing world, right? So, um, you know, uh, yeah. first of all, there is a Euro T20 league that has been announced. So, this Euro T20 league is a very good news for the associate cricket right ireland is not an associate country anymore but they're still going to play this league and so this league is uh, between scotland ireland and uh, netherlands so our host country right mm-hmm. and uh, that means they are planning a euro t20 league it's going to be called so it's three countries uh, with two teams each right and each uh, city based franchisee sort of a system and uh, they're planning about 30 matches so it's been planned with ICC's blessing and planning involvement so uh, let's say they're planning to start it around end of June sort of July-ish so that it coincides with the peak of the summer and a lot of matches can be played starting late afternoon and maybe even two matches a day can be easily held right because of the extended summer times so uh, some some Good news coming through for associate cricket, really. Netherlands as well as Scotland can really use this time to play out all their you know, players on the fringes as well as their main team players. And Ireland can become more strong by exposing all the players they would like to try out. Right. It also probably offers a good chance to those uh, people, including expats, who are sort of shining in the local leagues. You know, to get a chance to maybe represent, uh, you know, get a bit of uh, popularity as well as really, you know, look forward to getting a chance to maybe even make a name for themselves in the Dutch league cricket and then maybe in the national team. So, I'm really looking forward to hearing if any of uh, my own club mates or other people whom I have played with or, you know, heard of getting a chance to play in this league. I'm very curious about that. So, I'll let you know. I'll keep you posted. Uh, I think the itinerary is not yet released. So, as and when this itinerary comes through, comes through. You know, maybe later on this uh, season, we could cover one of these matches. Let's see how it works out. Right, Kiri? Yeah. yeah. Because sure. I know um, Amsterdam is one of the venues. The VRA Cricket Ground in Amsterdam is one of the scheduled venues, mm. which is very close to where I live. So it's an option for us.
0: So I'll discuss yeah. this with you. Yeah, we can well. even watch this uh, match live. Some of the exactly. matches. Hopefully. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's the plan. So
1: going forward, um, you know, uh, one of the Zimbabwean administrators, Enoki Ikopé, uh, the former Zimbabwe cricket director has been banned for ten years by the ICC. Mm. Right? Uh, there was some involvement uh, from him with the you know investigation regarding uh, a corrupt approach made in October 2017 uh, to the then Zimbabwe captain Graham Kramer, by uh, Rajan Nair, a certain domestic cricket official in Zimbabwe. Right? Mm. So Nair has been given a 20-year ban, but Icope, uh, who was then uh, you know the uh, Harare Metropolitan Cricket Association chief and treasurer, right, and marketing director, a couple of other roles. This guy has been banned for 10 years because he was sort of uh, bound by the code of conduct uh, and he did not sort of, again, give all the cooperation to SEO that he could have and should have, right? He one was even charged with obstructing certain kinds of investigations. So mm-hmm. it comes as a real shock. But unfortunately, we knew this Rajan Nair thing was going to blow up because uh, when the captain of your country... Uh, sort of complaints to ACU about an official from your own country's cricket board trying to fix things. It, it does not really give a good look, right? So it, it it's completely unfortunate to hear this, but I hope, you know, Zimbabwe cricket uh, comes up a bit more uh, with the goods and also they get a bit more, you know, exposure because recently this Afghanistan's tour of Zimbabwe has also been cancelled, right? Zimbabwean cricket, uh, uh, you know, the the uh, board is doing in a is not doing well financially right they're really struggling and unfortunately ICC is not willing to dole out any more money to them unless they uh, come up with proper plans and also show how they are planning to implement it because a lot of money has been given to them previously and it has been mismanaged as a result um, they did not have enough funds to have a full uh, you know uh, TV uh, coverage of the mm-hmm. tournament. As a result, Afghanistan has decided to pull out. It's very unfortunate. But I think uh, something has to happen here. Something has to give here. Otherwise, uh, Zimbabwe is such a proud team. I really dwindled down into oblivion. Because if you remember what happened to Kenya, who are their neighbours, hmm. uh, really not a lot has happened. They were, If you remember, in the mid-90s, they were really a team to be reckoned, reckoned with. You know, they, they were in the World Cup semi-final. Right, Kiri?
0: Otiano, oh, I remember yes. that guy. Otiano,
1: yes. Odoyo. All these guys. Exactly. Morrisodumbe. They had uh, enough players who were uh, household names at least in the sub- mm. subcontinent because it was a yeah. subcontinent uh, tournament. But you know, it was, it's very unfortunate. You know, this this Zimbabwean cricket may follow the pattern of Kenyan cricket if it's not taken care of carefully. Right? They are already having enough strife, mm. and uh, let's hope it doesn't come to that. It's just a word of caution and a word of hope that you know uh, this sort of fixes itself rather than going down the rabbit hole and you know, becoming more and more muddled. So, outside of that. There has been an interesting uh, uh, news report that Jason Holder, right, the West Indian mm-hmm. cricket captain, has called upon ICC and FICA, the FICA, the, you know, the cricketer's body, mm-hmm. to try to, you know, come up with a substantial minimum salary for all test cricketers, he says, or all international cricketers, if possible, because mm-hmm. recently Duane Olive is one of the people who yeah. migrated to callback right? Yeah. Then a lot of players have been lost by South Africa and many other players, right? So... Yeah. This is a good suggestion from an international captain. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you were to, you know, pardon the expression, take out the elites, the top three, mm-hmm. England, Australia and India out of the picture. The other boards, I think Pakistan are doing really well because of the PCL, PSL and other things. But many other boards are struggling. Not until uh, very long ago, Sri Lanka board was struggling. Right, and they still are, if I'm not wrong. And South Africa continues to face the same issue. And West Indian board, we know we know about all the problems they face, right? Mm -hmm. I think it might be a good idea if there is sort of a minimum salary bracket introduced, Mm -hmm. and you know, ICC could sort of take take up the the point of paying the players themselves instead of handing over that part of money to the board and then hoping the board pays it off. Right? This could be a good idea. He's come up with a couple of suggestions. It's a long article, so I will not go into every point, but uh, it's interesting that one international cricket captain has actually thought about it and come up with uh, an idea that could mm-hmm. work, or has proposed a couple of ideas. So, uh, kudos to Jason Holder. It shows that not only is he a very articulate and uh, educated young man, but somebody who's thinking for the better, betterment of cricket as a whole. Yeah. So, it boards really well that such a guy is in charge of the West Indian Test Yeah, you know,
0: and, and I, you know, I think he's he's also forming a team under him. Uh, and uh, he would hate to lose some of his guys to this coal pack stuff. Uh, yes. So it's also in his interest. But a very shrewd young man. So good, good on him. Indeed.
1: All right. Uh, then, if we were to look at this, uh, the next episode in the Hardik Pandya, KL Rahul saga, mm-hmm. it looks like the new ombudsman for BCCI has been appointed. It's a certain Justice DK Jain, mm-hmm. right? And this person will be. Uh, sort of taking on the responsibility of adjudicating, uh, sort of a ruling and coming up with a, maybe a deserved punishment and maybe even some fines for Rahul mm-hmm. and Hardik. So this is going to be one of the first things the new ombudsman is tasked with, mm-hmm. right? So, so as we'll we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah. So the ban is provisionally lifted, but I think the penalty is still due. Anything to add? Yeah,
0: no, no. But the thing is. Uh, I don't know if they can uh, impose further ban on these people because uh, they are part of they're probably part of the World Cup squad and if that were to happen,
2: mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. just
0: before a World Cup, it can unsettle the team. Right. Um, so they need to be careful about what they choose to do here. May, maybe a fine, I think, should be enough. I think they have done enough. They have served enough, in my opinion. Exactly. Um, so let it, you know. Let it go and uh, just let them focus on playing cricket because that's what they're paid for, right? So let's let them do that. Having, you know, um, redeemed themselves, you know, having served their sentence in the form of a suspension. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let, let's say let legal take course, uh, take its own uh, uh, yeah, legal, legal action, take its own course.
1: Of course. Yeah. Now I have a feeling, as you say, there'll be a large amount of prudence with whatever decision will be taken. Mm-hmm. And they did miss some cricket. They were withdrawn from the ongoing series in Australia and New Zealand. And they, did, they both missed some cricket as well, international cricket. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm sure there'll be a certain amount of prudence exercised. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Uh, now, going onwards, uh, did you see Pakistan's team that's been picked for uh, UAE to face Australia? Maybe?
0: Yeah, yeah. So this, this is played, I think. Uh, I'm just checking the FTP, Future Tool Programme.
2: Uh,
0: They're going to play end of this month. In fact, five ODIs in the UAE. Australia will play against Pakistan. And Mm -hmm. surprisingly, exclusion. You know, and and a surprising exclusion is uh, Sarfraz Ahmed, captain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And we spoke about this offline. And Shoaib Shoaib Malik will uh, take over the reins. uh, Yes. uh, For this tournament or for this series, in fact. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also spoke about this offline. Uh, Safraz is probably being rested because he's currently active uh, for uh, Quetta Quetta Gladiators at PSL.
2: Uh-huh. He's
0: the captain of that team there and he's probably playing a lot of cricket, so he, he, he needs to rest a bit before the World Cup. Of course, Pakistan, uh, I think that they're one of the lucky teams who play uh, a one-day series and uh, five one-day matches and one T20 uh, just before the World Cup in England. They're going to play against England, so they will... Mm-hmm. Uh, have a head start, probably. Um, so he's probably he, he's going to play there, I think, in England uh, before the World Cup. Um, so he he's going to get some time off uh, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and and come back there uh, in the month of May. That's uh, just before the World Cup. Um, so oh. it's surprising to see Shoaib Malik uh, getting the captaincy instead of somebody like uh, Fakhar Zaman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, you could think that it's a step back. But I
1: think uh, um, PCB rightfully has decided Fakar Zaman might not be ready for a captaincy role in this team, right? Mm -hmm. This is one thing. If you look at some of the other players that have been included, so so Umar Akmal and Junaid Khan make a comeback. So Umar Akmal's uh, next chapter of his career is beginning here. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. he'll be very keen to prove all his dictators wrong, right? Mm -hmm. A couple of other people, um, Saad Ali and Mohamed Hasnain, both of whom were previously uncapped are included. Yes. So Adali is a very exciting batsman, and Mohammad Asneen, I think you mentioned him offline, Kiri. To me, yeah, he's, he's, he's
0: the next sensation. I, I think, you know, I hope, mm-hmm, he can mm-hmm. be the next Sh- Shoaib or even better in terms of pace. And sure. this guy is just 18 years old; he's a teenager. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I saw some of his highlights. Uh, one over in which he bowled against. I don't know which team it was against, Mm -hmm. um, in the PSL match. In a PSL match, and he was bowling in excess of 150 kilometers per hour. And he's just 18. Yes,
1: yes, yes. He looked looked really frustrated. Young
0: uh, guy. Yeah, really young. Unbelievable. He has so much muscle already. You can see he's a very fit young man. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can only imagine in a couple of years, he can only improve. I hope he he gets to reach that uh, 160 mark. Wow,
1: Yeah. I mean, you can imagine in a couple of years with a yeah. bit more bulking up and a bit more, you know, uh, smoothing Fitness. out of all the edges, rough edges. Mm. This guy could easily hit 100 mph, right? Yeah.
0: So, exciting prospect oh. there.
1: Mm. Indeed. Uh, so, a very nice mix of, let's say, experience and newbies in this team, mm. right? So, Mohamed Rizwan is back as keeper. Mohamed, uh, then you have, of course, Mohamed Abbas, the Test match fast bowler. He's been given a chance to provide certain amount of stability. And he's the lion of the desert, isn't he? So yeah. mm. you know a batsman line yeah
0: absolutely
1: so it'll be interesting we'll have to see uh, that he's going to probably convert a bit of um, you know his uh, form in tests in UAE into one yeah. days as well and he might make a last minute grab of a position for the World Cup because you know after all he's a swinging fast bowler and Mickey um, Arthur famously said PSL form will still be considered when it comes to the selections for World Cup and this might be an audition for him with the one day team. He has not played a lot of one day, so I'm very curious how he will do, because uh, he'll be the sort of stabilizing influence. Because you have Amir, of course, and Hasnain and Shinwari
0: are sort of fast merchants, the fast bowlers, right? But surprising is Junaid Khan. I'm still surprised uh, about his inclusion, mm-hmm. though. So mm-hmm. interesting.
1: Well, no, I think he he deserves a chance. Sort of, he was pushed back into the background once Mohamed Amir came back. Mm-hmm. He's a bit injury prone, but he has his skill and he has his place rightfully in this team. I would say. Right. And then when it comes to the people rested, all the, let's say, the top order wealth in the Pakistani batting has been rested because Fakhar Zaman himself is rested. Baba Razan is rested as well. Right. right,
2: right. And
1: Shadab Khan has also been rested. Uh, It was uh, probably a bit interesting for me. I would have liked to have seen Shadab Khan play because he's maturing very nicely. And I have a feeling he'll play a very important part in the World Cup for Pakistan. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's see. But then on the other side, if you look at it australia have chosen to leave out smith and warner so their dates of uh, let's say their dates of uh, rehabilitation will be completed by 29th of march mm-hmm. uh, they'll only be with the team for 3 days uh, you know sort of in a preparatory manner but they will not play any matches because they have chosen or they have been instructed to play ipl rather than with the australian one day team Right, mm-hmm. It was a very interesting point for me personally, but okay, that's how it works. So, also Stark has not been included in uh, Josh Hazelwood. We are still doubtful, they say. So, it's going to be an interesting squad for Australia as well. We'll see once it's announced shortly, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, a uh, couple of nice points to finish on. Uh, it's been uh, It's in the papers today this, that Wasim Akram and Vakar Yunus, the bowling stalwarts from Pakistan, right? Mm-hmm. They have been... Um, awarded the Hilal Imtiaz, the second highest civilian honor in Pakistan. And Yasir Shah has been awarded the Sitara A. Imtiaz, the third highest civilian award, right? So uh, congrats to all of them. They're going to be given this award on the 23rd by the president of Pakistan. And probably there are no uh, less deserving players on the planet to be awarded this award, right? And Yasir Shah is a really upcoming player and he deserves this
0: accolade in his career as well,
1: right? Uh, anything to add there,
0: Giri? No, no. I think deserving uh, awardees. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if Imran Khan uh, has a similar award because mm-hmm. of his cricketing uh, contributions. Well, but, he's still uh, the… Yeah, go on. <laughs> on. go on. No, no. But I think these two, uh, the two Ws, Wakar uh, and Wasim, they've mm-hmm. done enough to uh, get this. Um, so, good on them. Well, Imran Khan
1: has also been uh, given the Hilal Imtiyaz previously and the Pride of Performance, Pride of Performance Pakistan, right? Okay. So he has had certain, you know, let's say uh, accolades given to him for his... uh, These were all services to cricket in Mm. in the name Mm. of services to cricket, right? He's the only World Cup winning captain of Pakistan as well. So at least in the 50 over format. So, yeah, there we go. And then... uh, A small, rather uh, not-so-good news. Uh, Musharraf Hussain, who's a former Bangladesh cricketer, has been diagnosed with a brain tumour and he's headed to Singapore for treatment, is what we read. So our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. So the trivia question for this week is, uh, which famous event connects the first hat-trick in the Cricket World Cup with the only player who has played in six Cricket World Cups? So in this question, you'll need to think about a couple of people and a very famous event involving these two people. So this is a nice, challenging question, but if you connect the three separate events nicely, it'll be a very nice answer. So uh, we would like to hear a lot of responses from our listeners. I know you're out there. Get back to us with the right answer, right? You can give us the right answer via our mail ID, that is armchair.cricket at gmail.com, or via our Twitter handle, which is at or you can reply uh, to us on our Facebook page. Right, so do join us for some uh, live banter during uh, matches on Twitter, or uh, set us your thoughts uh, about uh, you know any upcoming matches or anything you would like us to discuss. Also, if you have some nice ideas for the show, we are always welcome to your comments. Right, so we have quite quite a lot of cricket coming up in the upcoming episodes as well. So do stay tuned in, and also subscribe to our podcasts uh, wherever you are, uh, you know listening to on whichever platform, give us a good rating. We'll be very happy to have that, but also you can subscribe to us so we know how much our following is growing, right? Thanks a lot. We are looking for a couple of guest speakers or guests that we would like to involve in these episodes. So if you are interested, do write in to us, right? So having said all that, it's a goodbye from me.
0: And it's a goodbye from him. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.